I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, and that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we dare our as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Experiment, the show where we have reached the conclusion of the matter. I'm Aaron Bishop, here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey! And today we are in the very last chapter of Ecclesiastes. We made it! We've made it! Woohoo! <laughs> Before we go any further, there's an announcement I'd like to make. We have a very busy July ahead of us. We have a family reunion in the Midwest coming up in less than two weeks. And then when we get back, we have Swap, our clothing exchange, which is going to require a whole lot of labor. A whole lot of time. And a whole lot of time. So for the month of July, we are going to be taking a break from the podcast. Now, don't worry. There will still be content coming out. The YouTube channel will still have blurbs. The old podcast episodes will still be posted. We'll still be doing Patterns Bible Explorations. All of those things we've spent the last couple weeks working ahead and getting a whole bunch of stuff put together for you so that there won't be any kind of break in those areas. But so for the podcast. you pod- still get your info fix. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but for the podcast, there is going to be a break through July. Uh, when we come back in August, we will probably pick up with the book of Job at that point. Exciting Yay. book. It's, I know Rebecca's excited. <laughs> Why are you so excited? It's, it's got to be one of my favorite books. It is a it is a good book, and I read a book recently about Job that really shifted how I saw Job, and it really gave it some depth and insight that was just, I think, sorely missing. I know what book you're saying, and I've tried to read it, and I've gotten a couple of chapters, <laughs> and I have not gotten further. <laughs> well, it is really good. So when we get there, we'll really highlight that book and, and kind of pull out some of the points that the author made. But until then, we are still here in the book of Ecclesiastes for one last week, and we are still with you for one last week. So, you actually had a chance to apply Ecclesiastes this last week, didn't you? I did. Refresh my memory, though, because I remember doing it and pointing at you and going, Hey, I pulled out Ecclesiastes, but I can't remember what it was. You'll see, all I remember (laughs) is you pointing at me and saying, Hey, I used Ecclesiastes. (laughs) And I can't remember the situation either. I I think it was at Shabbat. I believe so. What was it? I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) That's hilarious. If we remember it, you'll be the first to hear. But uh, (laughs) we had just been talking about whether we'd had a chance to use it or not. And uh, this week she was so excited when she got a chance to use it. She she (laughs) made a point to point it out that she had the opportunity to use some of the wisdom of Solomon in her her daily life. Which... uh, it's, it's a really cool thing when you recognize that what you're reading and what you're studying has become part of what you're doing. It's part of who you are. Part of who, You've yeah. made it part of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's such a significant thing. So this last chapter is a lot of poetry. 
It is extremely poetic, and it really does get to the heart of the matter. Rebecca's translation actually has some very interesting word choices. I feel like this, at least the the first half of the chapter, chapter 12, it's kind of like that really good speech right before people go into battle or something like that. It's not really before battle, but it is definitely a like a stirring, tie-everything-together kind of a speech, though. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. It is really good poetry. Yeah. I'm assuming the Hebrew is amazing on it, but I have not actually looked at the Hebrew yet. But we will actually look at the Hebrew for at least one word in this, because our translations disagree. <laughs> so we're, yes. going to, we're going to check it out, whether it's talking about a specific sort of berry or whether it's talking about something else. We're going to see what the Hebrew has to say. This kind of feels a little bit like, do not go softly into that night. Into that dark night, right. So, as most of us know it, the Independence Day speech. Yeah, that one. <laughs> That's the one. That's probably why I feel like it's right before a battle. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but it does have that, that feel that to feel, it. Right. It really the, does. That uh, death is coming, that dark night is there. and, and there's against the dying of the light. Right, and... However, this isn't, it has that same theme of the impending closeness of death. The end is coming, but it right. doesn't but have But it doesn't the have rage. that same rage and it doesn't that... have that, that trying to deny death. Right. Absolutely. Uh, which is, which is so vitally important. So without further ado, let's go ahead and let's read this chapter and then let's talk about it some more. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of misery come, and years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and light and moon and stars grow dark, and the cloud dissipates after the rain. In the day the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men stoop. When grinders stop because they are few, and those peering out windows grow dim. When doors are shut in the streets, and the sound of the mill fades. When one arises at the chirp of a bird, and all the songs grow faint. When they also are afraid of heights and of dangers on the road. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and the caperberry fails to excite. For a man is going to his eternal home, and mourners go about in the street. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is crushed, or the jug at the cistern is shattered, or the wheel at the well is broken. Then the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Evanescent vapors, says Kohelet, all is futility. Furthermore, Kohelet was not only wise, but he also taught the people knowledge. He pondered, sought out, and set in order many proverbs. Kohelet searched to find delightful words and truthful, accurate sayings. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collective sayings are like firmly affixed nails. They have been given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. There is no end to the making of many books, and excessive study wearies the flesh. A final word, when all has been heard. Fear God and keep his mitzvot. For this applies to all mankind. God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything that is hidden, whether it is good or evil. 
Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, this is something that we actually have some experience with kind of recently when your grandmother was near the end of her life. For those who don't know, she passed away In in February and we were, we moved into Rebecca's parents' house to help provide hospice for her. And so we got to live with her for the last six months of her life or so. And there near the end, she just wanted to go. She found no yeah. pleasure in life. There was yeah, it nothing even came to good the to point, look forward to. It even came to the point where she didn't even want ice cream. Right. <laughs> and she was, that was... She was just praying for death. Yeah, she really was. And, she and was which ready. Is, which is kind of shocking to people who are young and full of life. And how can you get to that point? But to see it then from this side of it, to, to witness her get to that age where she's just like, I'm done. Before, when I would read through Ecclesiastes 12, it didn't really connect it to me. I kind of knew intellectually about, you know, you get old enough, you're like, all right, this is, this is enough. I want it to be done. But then witnessing it and being there for it and, and being right there in the in this dying process and seeing her ready, ready to go. Yeah. Witnessing just her body fail and, yeah. and the things that were good that, I mean, gets to the point you can't chew. Then what good is ice cream? What good right. is food? What, what good is TV? If you can't see or hear, I mean, what yeah. good is TV now? Um, what yeah. good is conversation when you're just a bump on a log and everyone else is talking faster than you can, mentally process uh, or you can even hear you're only catching every other word can't play games you can't play games can't, yeah. yeah your hands can't don't work right anymore you, yeah yeah it, it got to the point where she just basically sat around right and it was sad and I, watching her life i could see okay yeah i, I kind of get it now that connected with me in a new way that i had before and uh, through verse 7, it kind of continues on in that same vein. The poetry here in this chapter, at least in these first seven verses, it's all about this end-of-life experience. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning and the end of it is this idea of remember God. Yep, remember your creator. Remember your creator. And remember him while you're still young. Before you get to this age where these things go wrong with your body, where your mind stops functioning right, when there's no pleasure to give thanks to him for. Remember him while you're still young and can experience life and love life and can properly honor him and and glorify him and give him praise for, for the good things that he has done. And it's such a significant thought. Especially at the end of this whole book, because he's talked so many times about how he pursued different avenues. He pursued all of these different life goals and, and what came from it. Right. It, vanity. And he's talked about, okay, then nothing's of any value. And, and he kind of gets into this despondency. And I don't want to have to, anything to do with anything. I'm just depressed. Right. It's kind of how he spins it there. And then he comes back to... Enjoy life while you have it. And then he comes to here. Don't forget your creator. Right. And that's the biggest part that he's taking away from this whole entire thing is love God with all of your being. 
while you're still here, while you still can, enjoy the things he gave you. But remember, he is the most important thing. And all of your actions are going to be judged. Yeah, that's where the chapter kind of ends. But uh, I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves there. <laughs> it is. It was um, just summing it up. Right. So yeah, verse 2, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. You know, your eyesight is failing you. It could be real easy to kind of take these sayings and think of them as kind of eschatological type events, like even mm-hmm. the passing away of mankind. Yeah, I don't think really that's where he was going I don't. With I don't think so either. I think he's poetically describing the end of a person's life where mm-hmm. the eyesight fails and hearing fails and pleasure fails and everything kind of goes away. There could be an element of prophecy in there, but I don't really think that it has well, ever it's, actually been thought of as prophecy. Well, verse 3, I think, kind of makes one, if one were to take it that way, it's the linchpin of what would cause one to think of it. And the day when the guards of the house tremble, and the strong men shall bow down, when the grinders shall cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows shall become dim. Now, is this grinders like your teeth and windows like your eyes, or this is Maybe. the millstone and, and, and you can't see through your windows? Or Right, he, and that's the question. Is he talking about actual people out there? The guards are failing, they're getting old, people are passing away, there's not very many grinders out there. Or he could be speaking in the way of the Song of Solomon, where he's describing body parts using Metaphor. uh, using metaphors, yeah, mm-hmm. using symbols or things that are known in the earth mm-hmm. and that's i think where the where the question lies is this prophetic in some way maybe but also i i, I think there's it's more poetry it's very very clearly poetry mm-hmm. and even in english it's clearly poetry and it's beautiful in a melancholy sort of way right and so i think that to take those words literally Guards are failing, and there's not many grinders at the wheel, and so on and so forth. I, I, I think it says a disservice to the poetry and to the imagery that's being presented here. Mm-hmm. And the door shall be shut in the streets, and the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are bowed down. Yeah, yours has daughters of song, and mine says all their songs grow faint, and it's referring to the birds. Right, so... Um, in the Hebrew, let's see, it says, Kalbanot Hashir, which means all daughters the song. Well, yeah, there's daughters in there. So that is, mine is a literal translation. Yours is attempting to get the sense of what's being said. It could be an idiom there. Right. Right. Well, it's it's like uh, daughters of Jerusalem is the cities that surround Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see daughters of Jerusalem in, in poetry, or Yeshua warns the daughters of Jerusalem to flee from trouble or, or things mm-hmm. of that nature. He's not talking about people born in Jerusalem. He's talking about the cities around, the people right. around Jerusalem. And so that, that word is used idiomatically throughout the Bible, the daughters. Again, if you were to go with the eschatological view, it's like the, the children of the songs of old, and mm. ages and ages have passed, and the songs of the new age are, have are, forgotten the songs have forgotten the songs of before but they're still just the daughters of the songs that have gone before it's similar to that poem that you said our age remembers that poem as independence day <laughs> independence day yeah. right we remember it as Which independence day but it wasn't independence <laughs> day it was i want to say keats 
the original's poem was written in 1952 by Dylan Thomas. And so our understanding of it is a offspring of his. Mm -hmm. And for all we know, his coming up with it was an offspring of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. We don't really know where it came from and what influenced his life to get there. There's nothing new under the sun. Right. And so he was probably recycling uh, someone that had come before and recycling someone that had come before. Same ideas, slightly different take, new words put in a way that Mm -hmm. became more memorable than the people before or than had been done before. Right. Became able to connect to to newer audiences and younger audiences. I mean, you just think of how many different times the Cinderella story has has or Paco Bell's canon. Oh, sure, absolutely. Many, many popular songs use Paco Bell's canon in D as the the base, the foundation for their songs. Right. Songs you wouldn't even think of. But, but it's right, right there. there. It's yeah. right there in the music. Uh, there's actually a brilliant comedic take called the Paco Bell Rant. That is so funny. It's a musician comedian who goes through and plays Paco Bell, talking about how he learned it in school. And then he started to hear it everywhere. And he heard it in all these songs. And he <laughs> ends the, the routine by playing a bunch of songs back to back to back to back to back and singing the der- various lyrics that we're used to. And connecting the the Paco Bell's canon indeed to all of these songs. It's the same progression of notes. Cool. And uh, it's, but it's the same thing being recycled. Mm-hmm. Nothing new under the sun. The, the daughters of Paco Bell's songs are our songs today. And so, yeah, there's just this profound nature to the idea of daughters of songs. Mm-hmm. But I think yours gets the better interpretation. <laughs> yours gets the word. Yours gets the award for the better interpretation. All uh, the songs grow faint. When all the songs grow faint, you can't hear the words. You can't hear the right. birds. I think that has it's the a old man tune. who's right. A better, a better feel to it. It, it yeah. fits. It fits the poem better. It fits the context better mm-hmm. than some grand scope uh, meandering thoughts about how songs progress, or or even the end of ages when when the world is dying. Yeah, it's it's definitely, in my mind, it says one arises at the chirp of a bird. So I am a um, lighter sleeper, and the, the slightest little sound will wake me up. Well, grandmother was that way, too, frequently. And you'd wake up at the slightest little sound, but you couldn't actually even hear the music. Right. You would hear certain things really, really well, and it would wake you out of a sound sleep. But you, you couldn't, still couldn't hear, hear right. other things. Yeah. And it also, I think, gets to the idea that as you get older, you kind of wake up earlier and earlier, mm-hmm. which is yes, absolutely We've something I've not yet experienced. <laughs> We've noticed that. But we have noticed with, that with, with parents yeah, yeah, with family. Uh, further, they are afraid of what is high and of the low places in the way. So they're afraid of tripping over things. They're afraid of the, the small dip in the road because you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. I think this is more along the lines of call me bef- when you leave and call me when you get home and make sure you got home safely. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that uh, Solomon was dealing with a whole lot of call me before you yeah, leave I know, I know. type scenarios. Send, I, send I, a I pigeon think, before you go. <laughs> right, exactly. But no, I mean, I, I kind of feel that for for today's generation right. you know it's the it's the i'm the unexpected. i'm afraid of heights so now i'm i'm hanging on to the railings because i feel like i'm gonna fall 
I'm I feel like yeah. I'm gonna fall all the time. You know that kind of concept. Right. Well, it's the it's the the walker because you'll trip over the slightest rise in the ground or the mm-hmm. slightest dip in the ground. It's the and it's that old age. And the almond tree blossoms, and the grasshopper becomes a burden, and mine says desire perishes. Yeah, mine says the caper berry fails to excite. The caper berry fails to excite. Boy, caper berries are so exciting. I like capers. Yeah, so I did a little research on capers this morning, actually, and capers are a Mediterranean um, plant that basically only grows in the Mediterranean. It, It does... It can be grown in other areas, but it does not grow well in other areas. And the only way that caper berries or capers are sold is brined. They huh. don't sell them raw. And they're really? completely and utterly different. Very similar to the concept of a olive right. that has not been brined. It doesn't taste anything at all like what we're used to if we're eating olives. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, mine says desire perishes, and yours says the caper berry falls. So the word that's used there is aviona, and according to Strong's, it means a caper berry of stimulating desire. Guess how many times it's used in the Bible? I would guess once. Just once, right here. And the thing is that it's actually um, been used historically as an aphrodisiac. Well, that makes sense. It's kind of like the uh, the mandrakes from yeah, early Genesis exactly. when uh, Leah and uh, Rachel were having their little spat, spat trying to get uh, Jacob to recognize them. But this word, it, it's not a root word, which is important to know. Because the root words, while not the same words, they can inform us of the meaning of the word. And... The root word is ava, and ava means to be willing, to consent, or to yield to. Hmm. can also be translated as to desire. Aha! And that's where they get the translation in mind, is because mm-hmm. the root is that. Uh, so I think you're right. It, it is that connected idea of the caperberry being an aphrodisiac, or thought of at least as an aphrodisiac, mm-hmm. and increasing desire to make one more willing to give consent, if you will. So the word for uh, consent, the the Abba, the one that it came from, is actually used 54 times. And the majority of the time, it's translated as simply would. That someone would do something. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So that is an interesting little... uh, Little word there. Yeah. Now, when the almond tree blossoms... Now, when I hear an almond tree blossoming... I can't help but think of um, Aaron's rod right, blossoming. Right. And an almond tree takes a long time to blossom, doesn't it? Uh, it takes a lot of water to blossom. I don't know about how long it takes. Um, but it is thought by some thinkers that the almond tree was the tree of life. It's a Jewish tradition okay. that the, the tree of life was an almond tree. And I think it comes from the idea from the almond branch budding from Aaron's rod, uh, the idea that Aaron was as high priest, he was the the prime source of life among humanity, and his branch was an almond branch, and so almonds 
we're seen as as that. So okay, that's interesting. Interesting little uh, tradition that comes from Judaism. Mine has the grasshopper drags itself along. Yours had something else. The grasshopper becomes a burden. That's interesting. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Okay. Yours makes a lot more sense that the grasshopper is burdened. Not that he is a burden, but that he has, he's, um, it's like he's carrying burdens. Yeah. He's, he's weighed down. He's, he's dragging his legs. <laughs> uh, because dra- grasshoppers are young. They're, or they're spry. They jump. They move. They, they're quick. They're, they fly even. The, the grasshopper, it's like a picture of vitality. It's a picture of, of life. And so when it becomes weighed down and burdened down, and drags itself and drag, along. Then you know that that grasshopper's got something wrong with it. Yeah, it's it's old. For man is going to his everlasting home, and the mourners shall go about in the streets. In other words, you're going to die. Yeah. You're going to die. That everlasting home, that's idiomatic for you're going to die, and you'll be there forever. But it's also, I mean, this is this stuff is used in funerals frequently. Oh, of course. And it is... Where a lot, where our concept of this world's not my home, I'm just passing through, comes from, because he's going to his eternal home. Right. Yeah. So, and that is, and that is the point of this whole entire thing. It starts in verse six. In my translation, it begins with two words that are italicized, meaning they're not actually in the Hebrew. They were added back in by translators. But it's remember him. So it's going back to the idea of remember the creator. Back from verse verse 1. So remember him before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the jar is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the well. So remember him before your body is broken. You're going to die. You you may die quickly. You might be something that's a golden bowl, very valuable. And then it breaks and shatters, and it's not used for much anything anymore. It's useful only for the gold to be melted down and made into something else. And and I think he's kind of just talking about, you know, things that are useful that then fall out of use or fall out of usefulness. Mm-hmm. And he's speaking to humans. You remember him before your body fails, before you, that golden bowl, gets shattered, before you, that wheel, it gets broken. And remember him before it's too late, mm-hmm. being the the impetus here the the call here which is such an important call because the the yolo crowd the you only live once crowd the experience today crowd it's all yeah. about living in the moment and thinking of nothing beyond yourself microwave mentality right but this is speaking of you're gonna pass away whether it's now whether it's in a decade whether it's in a hundred years whatever you everyone will die and none of us know when that's going to be. Mm-hmm. So before it's too late, remember God. Right. Turn to him. Worship him. Love him. Come into a community with him. Because without him, you're going to spend that everlasting home in... Torment. In, well, in a... In a state away from God. Yeah. in the, On the wrong side of judgment, I think is what I'm trying to say. Because he's, he's getting towards all things will be judged at the mm-hmm. end of the chapter. And so he's, you're going to stand in the wrong side of that judgment when the judgment comes. If you don't remember him before that day comes, which is such an important thing to remember. I mean, this really is kind of the the preacher's call to, yeah. to all mankind. <laughs> this is this is Kohelet's altar call here. Right. Yeah, it really is. Because then the dust turns to the ground 
it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Right. That's uh, Genesis 3 right there. You know, from dust you came into dust you will return. Yeah, it is absolutely Genesis. And it's, uh, it, but it's pointing out that, hey, you are just dust. You're, you're going to, your matter that makes you up isn't all that special. It is just dust. Not even stardust. I mean, okay. It's You go it's back in a, a we're long totally enough timeline. Dust. Right. But we're we're earth dust. We're connected to the earth. We are intrinsically made bound. from bound to the earth yeah. in a very real and visceral way. I like how yours specifically says to remember God before the end. In verse 6. Yeah, because mine doesn't say that. But well, the I Hebrew that, doesn't I, say that. I understand, but I think that that is an appropriate addition there because it is trying to draw you back to that that concept right. of, of don't forget because the end's it's coming, and if you forget and you don't focus on God now, and you don't make him your life now, it's going to be too late. Right. Because the end is coming, and you can't do it afterwards. Yeah, there's no going back once, no once you get there. And the context does lend itself to that remember him being there, the, the just being the unspoken mm-hmm. entrance into the sentence. So I think that translator here did a good job. Verse Less eight. so on this verse. Yeah, you, don't, you don't like your verse 8? I mean, it's poetic, but it's not what's in scripture, it's, what's in Hebrew anyway. So what does your say again? Remind Mine me. says, evanescent vapors, evanescent says Tohelet. All is vanity. Evanescent. Uh, that makes me think, um, what's the tablets that you drop into the, oh, the uh, water yes. and evanesces? The plop, plop, plop fizz, fizz. fizz. <laughs> Whatever you think it is. <laughs> Alka-Seltzer. Alka there it is. <laughs> the evanescent vapors. So this is dropping your plop, plop, fizz, fizz, and then taking in those vapors. Mm. Tickle your nose. No, that's not. that's <laughs> actually not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew is futility, futility is hevel, behevel. Behevelim, actually. So the futility of futilities, or vanity of vanities, as it is in in many. penultimate vanity. Right, right. All is futile. So that's how it began. Here's how Kahalat ends. He's done this physical examination of how the world works, of our role in it, of our place in it, and everything that's physical is vain. Honestly, when I hear the word evanescent, I can't help but think of the band in the 90s. Evanescence, right. <laughs> right, yes. And that's it. That's the ends of the words of Kohelet. Well, the, maybe, but the, it, well, it has a little blurb at the very end. At the very end, but I don't, I'm not sure whether that's the man who's telling us about the Kohelet, what the Kohelet said, or whether it is actually, the actually final from... Words. from him himself so the poetry there at the very end may actually be the last of what solomon had to say on the matter mm-hmm. and then the rest of this is the commentary then that's being added to it to kind of sum up to provide a summation of if everything's futile if everything's vain if everything is pointless as far as the physical goes then what is the point of the matter right and it does fit because it begins on Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And it ends on vanity, vanity, all is vanity. The words of Kohelet. Mm-hmm. And so the the Hebrew chiastic structure, they love that concise, Perfect. repetitive Perfect beginning and ending. Beginning and ending. And it, it, it was seen as beautiful, and I tend to agree. Um, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> shocking. But yeah, so the rest of this, 
is kind of about who Kohelet was and the things that he taught and who he was as a person. So if that is the last thing that Kohelet or Solomon wrote, Mm -hmm. which theoretically it is, then you have to go back and, and think about the fact that he's trying to point you back to remember God. Remember God before it's too late. Yeah. Before it's too late. Exactly. And that's what the commentator here lands on as well when he gets to the conclusion of the matter. So it goes on, and this is another reason why people think it's Solomon. I mean, there's been things throughout, trying to be wise and foolish and rich. There's all of these descriptors. But right here in uh, verse 9, and then besides being wise, Kohelet also taught the people knowledge. And he listened and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Well, Solomon's well known for doing proverbs. He is well known for being very knowledgeable. The Queen of Sheba came to him and questioned him, and he told her about all of the plants and the animals and, you know, all of this, these bits of knowledge that he had gained. And so these descriptors here, the only person in the Bible who even matches is Solomon, who who possibly could match would be Solomon. Yeah. At the beginning, it talks about he's a son of David. Right. And then to say that he searches out beautiful words, delightful words and truthful, accurate sayings and, he, all of these things, exactly. There's, there's really only one person that fits that description in any way at all. Right. Right. And uh, the book of Proverbs, the, the Song of Solomon, this book itself, uh, they all kind of use flowery imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not all just straightforward as, a, as so much biblical things are. And it's not even the prophetic poetry that we find in places like Isaiah or Ezekiel. It is poetry for the sake of poetry. Yeah. And besides Psalms, the only other places we find that are Song of Solomon here in Proverbs, the wisdom literature. There's a reason it's called the wisdom literature is because it's full of all sorts of wisdom. So yeah, the words of the wise They're like goads, and as nails driven by the master of collections, they were given by one shepherd. So, mine says, the words of the wise are like goads. Their collective sayings are are like firmly affixed nails. They have been given by one shepherd. Right, I mean, that makes sense. Yours didn't make sense to me. Can you say it one more time? The words of the wise are like goads, and as nails driven by the master of collections. Of collections? The master of collections. In other words, the collector's coming and he's putting the nail in the door. He's going to make sure it's not falling out. He's nailing your notice up, I guess. Their collective sayings are like firmly affixed nails, which to me makes more sense. It's like a building well built. These collective sayings are are well gathered together and you're not missing pieces. It's... It's solid. Right. So this is a single-use word, asupa, only used here in this chapter. That's what single-use is. Yeah. yeah. And it is a collection of learned men and only used in the plural. It is not a root word. So it is from asuf, which is things that will be gathered, stored, uh, or put into storehouses. Hmm. And that is not a root word. It is from the word asaf, which means to gather, receive, remove, or gather in. 
Hmm. They were gathered to their fathers being an example of how that is used. Okay. So that's where mine kind of gets the idea of collector because it's a single use word and because all we have is the root words to kind of provide some guidance as to what it means. It's, it's the collector. Right. Or is it a collection? Where do you put the commas? Where do you capitalize? It's an age old question. Well, I do like the, the concept of them being goads. Right. Because a goad is something that you would use to get your oxen to plow and you would, you know, uh, Right, a goat is a sharp stick. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed, to, but it's also but supposed it's, to encourage you keep to, something on path to be on path and to keep moving forward. Right, not to sit down and and be lazy and and not progress. Right. So if these wise words are goads, they are trying to encourage you to be a better person, mm-hmm. to keep growing, to keep right. learning. Well, and that's what the Proverbs are. When As we look through the book of Proverbs, it is their goads to entice right action. Mm-hmm. Not through outright punishment or discipline, but as a goad, as just to kind of point you back onto the path, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is super important. So, yeah, the idea of ox goads is, is a very, it's a fitting image. Mm-hmm. And then this one, they've all been given by one shepherd. That kind of seems to come out of nowhere. Petura says that literally every single translation that I looked at this week said the same thing. They shepherd. were all given by one shepherd. But I don't think that that's referring to Kahelet at all. I think it's referring to God. I would tend to agree with you. Simply because Kahelet's, where did his wisdom come from? It was no secret. Mm-hmm. It came from God. It was a gift from God. I'm sure he told people about his gift from God. It, privacy was not a non-issue. It didn't exist in the ancient Near East. Mm-hmm. Uh, this modern idea of privacy that we have, it, it was it was a foreign concept to them. Right. And in many places in the world today, it still is a foreign concept. Go to Indonesia and try and keep a secret. Good luck. So everybody knew that he had this gift of wisdom from God. And he proved it over and over again that he had a gift of wisdom from God. In fact, mm-hmm. it hurt so much so that kings and queens came to, to learn to from him, him and to test him and to mm-hmm. glean from his wisdom. And so to recognize that even the wisest man on earth, his wisdom isn't his own, that it was from a higher wisdom mm-hmm. is fitting for the end of the book. Because the end of the book is all about, hey, the, the physical things don't matter. And even Solomon and all his stuff, it doesn't matter. Right. It, it wasn't all him. all his wisdom, it wasn't him. Right. right. It wasn't him that was doing it. It wasn't him that was the source. He was nothing more than just a vessel. That is important to remember, and that's important for all of us to remember, I think, especially when it comes to matters of pride and humility. Yes. Because Solomon allowed pride to get to him. If we read First Kings chapters 10 and 11, I think it is, and we read of all the sins of Solomon, he allowed his pride to get to him. He allowed his wealth to get to him. He allowed his, I'm better than everyone else to get to him. Mm-hmm. And he ended up making a ton of mistakes. And so that's super important. And I think the commentator here, the one who's telling about Kohalat's wisdom is telling us about his, his words is kind of pointing that out that even though this man was the wisest, even though he gave us this amazing work of Ecclesiastes and all these proverbs and all these had knowledge and everything else, it wasn't his. Well, and you look at the next words, it says, be warned my son of anything in addition to them. There is no end to the making of many books, and excessive study wearies the flesh. Right, so mine says, and besides these, my son, be warned. 
yours has it as though it's a admonition against adding to the words of Ecclesiastes, similar to the words at the end of Revelation that anyone who adds to these words will be in danger of hellfire or something like that. Um, in Revelation chapter 22, mm-hmm. the very end of the book. Yours makes it sound something like that. Uh, I wasn't reading it as don't add to Ecclesiastes or don't add to anything outside of Ecclesiastes. But I was reading it more along the lines of the words given by the one shepherd. Mm, I could see that. Don't add to the words of the shepherd. Mm-hmm. I could see that. The making of many books has no end and much study is wearying of the flesh. Boy, I can tell you that. And And this... There's no end to making many books. That's bringing up the apocryphal books in my Mm. mind. Okay. The books that come later and say that they were written many, many years ago. The the books that actually refute some things that in scripture and people are holding them to this high standard of of scripture that they do not hold up to. And that's what that kind of makes me think of and the excessive study wearies the flesh well that's going back to what solomon even said here in ecclesiastes don't be too wise and when i read this uh, i can't help but think of the end of book of john that mm-hmm, uh, there's mm-hmm. no end of the books that could be written about what jesus did about what yeshua did that is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture right and uh and that uh makes the point that we're given what we're given for a reason. The stuff that we're given, the stuff that we have, it's enough to know him. Mm -hmm. And we could try to find other sources. We could try, like you said, to go to apocryphal books to say that what we have isn't enough. So let me find, you know, the Proto-Evangelion of of James or the, Mm -hmm. uh, the Gospel of Thomas or, and we'll start getting twisted and weird ideas about about Yeshua and about his ministry and things just kind of go off the rails from there. Um, and I think you're right. It is super important to remember that there is an unending stream of books that are written about the events in the Bible, but even modern books. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The, the, the number so of modern books many are staggering books out there. It's, it is just absolutely mind boggling. How and this many is books there this are. is written when all books were handwritten. Oh right, I mean, and super the, expensive and and hard yeah. to hard to come by hard and make, to take care of, and hard yeah. to store. And we live in an age where you can print a book on demand, right? And you can have a in you don't even an need entire it. library in the palm of your right. hand. Right, you don't even need a book. You can just you can just have it on your device. Yeah, but the uh, the idea that there's no end of studying. That is <laughs> that is one that I am intimately familiar with. Yes, but at the same with time... With my history. And, and we've said this before. The the pursuit of study can... it Like it says, it can be wearying to the mm-hmm. flesh. But it can completely dry you up to the point where you don't live. Oh, right. Yeah, I've, I've experienced that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I was studying for the MCSE. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know, I used to work with computers and it was a constant study. It was a constant learning experience. Every moment was learning something new, some new technology, some new 
program, some new uh, way of coding, some new uh, hardware, some, you know, it's just constantly something new. And especially when you start getting into things like certifications for computers, it is a lot of study. And uh, back in the near the beginning of my career with computers, I took the Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer tests, uh, seven tests that uh, covered the Microsoft systems, basically, from the ground up. And I studied for months and months and months and months and yep. months on end. He was always with always his nose in a book. Always had my nose in a book reading, always doing practice tests, always sitting in front of a computer trying out the things that it said. It was so exhausting. <laughs> so exhausting. But in the end, I passed all seven tests, didn't fail a single one of them. And the, the just getting to that point where I could stop studying and it had been successful was this huge moment in my life because I didn't have to study anymore. Uh, little did I realize that the remainder of my life would, would be a lot of study. studying, yeah. yes. <laughs> and even the last seven years or so with studying in the Bible, it has mm -hmm. been incessant, constant study. I mean, not incessant. I take breaks. We go places. We do things. There are times when I don't. I try to find that balance. balance. Yeah. It's been good. Right. You know, Enriching. We're, we're not complaining, but it has definitely been It is weary. It is yeah. weary. That's, that's all I'm getting at. The studying, it may seem like you're doing nothing, but man, it is wearying to the flesh. Mm -hmm. It truly is. And so, in conclusion... Let us hear the conclusion of the entire matter. Fear God, guard his commands, for this applies to all mankind. For God will bring every work into judgment, including all that is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Well, that sounds like Psalm. Mic drop right there. Yeah, it, there's, but, you know... Everything, nothing is hidden from God. That sounds like Psalms. Sounds like Psalms? Mm hmm Anyone in particular? There's a lot of those. Um, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. Mm. If I ascend to the highest mountain, you are there. Right. You know, that, that right. kind of, nothing is God knows everything. hidden from you. Right. From your eyes. Right, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's very true. That is a, uh, one of the tenets of, uh, the nature of God is his omniscience. Mm -hmm. He knows everything, whether hidden or not. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says that the hidden things belong to God and the revealed things belong to man. Mm -hmm. uh, again, same idea, that the things that are revealed, the things that you know, the things that you can see or figure out, those, are, those belong to men. But God knows the hidden things. And even in Job, we're going to see God exploit a lot of that do mm -hmm. you know how the earth was made do you know how the storehouses for the snow are set in the heavens and so on and so forth it's we're going to see a whole lot of that in the book of job especially when god gets to his section um, well and we see man looks on the outward appearance right. but god looks on the heart right god knows even your thoughts yeah or the idea of the witnesses in deuteronomy i set before you heavens and earth as witnesses today well the heavens and the earth, they witness everything. You can you can hide, but you're not hiding from the heavens and you're not hiding from the earth. It's, you're going to be seen. It's going to be witnessed and God knows about it. It's a very true statement that 
you can't hide a thing. You can't do something and think you're going to get away with it. You might die without being discovered, but you're still not going to get away with it. Right. It, it will be known. It will be discovered. And so that previous verse, the second to last verse, so fear God. Fear God is, and keep his, right. his commandments. Keep and his and that, is, that is a legitimate fear that we need to have toward God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as Yeshua says, fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul. Don't fear man who can destroy only your body. Fear the one who can destroy your soul. Because if it comes down to it and you're on the wrong side of judgment, guess what's going to happen? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It and it's not it's not biblical, but that is uh, a wise saying from a, a wise minister. It is a very real fear. And it is also an awe, which is what right, that right. word is frequently associated with when we're talking about a fear of God, Right, is this awe. But it is a real, genuine fear. Yes. When I was a child, I was afraid to upset my dad. Well, not, yeah. not that I was, my dad was not in any way abusive or anything of that nature, don't get me wrong. But I was genuinely afraid of disappointing him. And one of the worst punishments he would ever give me wasn't a spanking. I didn't care about a spanking. It hurt for a minute and I was done. It was when he would look me in the eyes and say, I am really disappointed in you. Right. That hurt. Right. And uh, we stand to experience something infinitely worse if we fall on the wrong side of judgment. The worst words that anyone can hear is, depart from me. I never knew you. And so the conclusion of the matter, the, the way of life, the way of living, that is the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes, is to fear God and keep his commands. And that's for all mankind. That is the way of life. So seek life. In all that you do. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Derish Chai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we Derish Chai, as we seek life. Shalom.